Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Today we are taking our reading from the book of 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. The Bible speaks of a man called Naaman, who was a captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given great deliverance unto Syria. He was a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by the companies and had brought away captives out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. So as they went taking over territories, they take a certain young girl in captivity and they make her a minister and a waiter to Naaman's wife. And so she says unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him from his leprosy. If my Lord, Master Naaman, had met the prophet that is in Samaria, he will heal or be healed. And one went in and told his Lord, that is Naaman was told, saying, Thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel, the king of Syria then said, so that means he goes to the king and tells him, you know, I think I need help. There's a prophet in Israel that can heal me. So the king of Syria said, go to go and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have there with thee sent Naaman my servant to thee that thou may recover him of leprosy. It's important for us to hear what the king writes. I've sent my servant Naaman that you will heal him. She will heal him. He has heard and he knows that there's a prophet that is in Israel that is trying to respect protocol. The king rent his clothes. Am I God to kill and make a life? This man that sent unto me to recover a man of his leprosy. Wherefore, consider, I pray you, see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. So the king of Israel thinks, I think this guy is just trying to get war with me. I'm not God. I cannot heal a man of leprosy. Why is he asking me to heal a man of leprosy? So he rents his clothes and starts lamenting because he thinks this man is opening war. And then it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes and he had sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman comes with his horses and with chariots and all the gifts that he carries at the door of the house of Elisha. And when he comes at the door of the house of Elisha, Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. So the prophet is inside, praying, or probably doing his intercession, or probably taking a cup of tea. He already has an answer for Naaman. And then he tells his servant, go and tell him to go and dip himself in the Jordan seven times and he shall be made clean. Verses 11, Naaman was wroth, or he was annoyed, and went away and said, behold, 
I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. The Bible says he was so annoyed that he walked away. So he's a man with leprosy. He comes to a man who has the ability to heal him. The prophet sends a message to him through his messenger, tell him to go dip himself seven times in the water and he shall be healed. And this guy is so disappointed. I thought he was going to come and lay hands on me, cast this leprosy off my body and will recover me. And then the Bible says he went away. That means he just turned his horses and chariots and then he started heading back home. And verses 12 says, And not a banner and far par rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel, may I not wash in them and be clean. In other words, besides, there are even better sources of water for me to wash myself into. Why does he send me to Jordan? He should have sent me in a cleaner pool. And he turned away in rage. The Bible says, and his servants came and spoke unto him, and they said, My father, if the prophet has bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? If he has asked something bigger than what he's telling you now, wouldn't you have done it? How much rather then when he tells you just wash and be clean? So this guy says, okay, let's go. He goes and dips himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, verses 14, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. What was Naaman's problem? He wanted God to work on his terms. You are suffering from leprosy. You have a problem in your marriage. You have a problem in your business. You have a problem in your career. You have a problem in your dreams. You have a problem in your ministry. But you want God to deliver you on your own terms. You want God to answer you on your own terms. You want God to intervene in your life under your own terms. You want God to deal with the issue in your own terms. You want God to give you a solution that works with your own terms. You want God to give you an answer that agrees with the circumstances of your receiving. That means that if it is not in the confines of your comfort, you would rather turn and not receive your healing. Listen, I have served God and I've been in active ministry for now probably above 17 or 18 years of active ministry. If you have not served this long, you will not understand the magnitude of the words that I'm telling you of how many times I have met people and sat on tables with them and wept with them and lamented and comforted and consoled people whose problem was not the issue that they were dealing with in question, but whose challenge was that they could not receive their healing, could not get their breakthrough, could not get a fixed marriage, could not fix their children, could not fix their lives, could not fix their visions, could not fix their careers because they had conditions for God to work. They had terms for him on how he was supposed to come through. If he didn't come through their own terms, some have even chosen to die because God is not working according to their ways and terms. 
There's somebody right now who is carrying a long illness because they turned when God wanted to deliver them. Why? He did not come or did not work under their terms. He did not work through the man of God they expected. He did not come through on the day they needed him to come through. He did not work in the circumstances when they wanted him to work most. And some of them, like Naaman, he had turned away. Naaman had turned away. Naaman had walked back with leprosy to his own place and still keep his position with sickness because he was not comfortable with how God chose to heal him. He says, no, the prophet should have come. I'm Naaman. He should have come. Come out, lay hands on me. Look, I've come a long way. I've carried gifts. He should have come and laid hands on me and spoken to this leprosy and he disappeared, but he has refused. Why is he sending me to Jordan? Okay, let me put it in present tense. Why is the pastor making me do this? Why is the man of God making me do this? Why is God positioning me for marriage this way? Why is God taking me to my first job, giving me this kind of job as my first job? Why am I serving this kind of person? Why am I in Uganda? Some people don't even want to be their tribe. Some people don't even want to be their color. Because they have a mind on how they expect God to work. And they even have the ability to get angry and offended that he has not worked under their own terms and some of them disconnect. I was helping a young man sometime. He said, if God was alive, why did my mother die? I'm not going to go to church. But I thank God that later somehow, by the grace of God, he was restored. Many people want to work according to their own terms. According to their own conditions and ways. It's the only comfort that they find in God. But that is not how God works. The Bible is full of the most divergent expressions of God's power. If you are a reader of the Bible, you will find many things that are so strange. But when you understand God, you realize that that's just his way. That's just his way. Somebody shout hallelujah. Some time back, I went back reading again the story of the walls of Jericho. You know, sometimes I want to go back to reflect when I'm in my times of meditation. I want to go back through certain stories because God speaks. And God is telling this man, Joshua, I have given you the king, the mighty men of valor, the princes thereof. Jericho is in your hand, but this is what I want you to do to get Jericho. You're going to get your team and they're going to march around the walls of Jericho six days and on the seventh day they're going to blow a trumpet. The priests are going to be there and people are going to scream and when they scream as the trumpets are blown, I'm going to put down that city. Why should we take six days going around Jericho? Some people would say, why should we take six days going around Jericho? Why don't you just come through and do the miracle? Why should it take six days? Why seven? I mean, okay, if we stood, you're God. If we stood here and just waited, wouldn't you put down Jericho anyway for us? Example could be offended. 
I see Jesus with a blind man before him. And gets his feet on the ground. And then he makes something out of that and puts it on the eyes of a blind man. And I'm seeing a woman in the corner like this. And she's like, miracle is done. As they're walking back home. Like, did he have to spit on the ground? There's one group of people saying, oh my God, this man has seen. In fact, if you read history, biblical history, when you go in the Old Testament dispensation, you never saw blind eyes seeing in the miracles that are recorded under the prophets and the patriarchs. You never saw, you rarely saw, you never saw blind eyes heal. You don't read that. And a man comes in John 9, 32, the Bible says, since the world began, it has not been heard that any man opened the eyes of a man that was born blind. The world had never heard that there was a man who could open a blind eye. They knew miracles, but they had never seen a blind eye open. It was the first time it happened. So it's something that has happened before creation. You are witnessing one of the greatest miracles of all time. There is one excited that they are blessed for them to be alive to see that. You know, recently I was reading a small little document and uh, there was a guy speaking about a footballer, Lionel Messi. And the guy said, I feel so blessed and privileged that I was alive in the generation Messi was alive. You see, he appreciates what this boy does on the pitch. He appreciates what this boy does on the pitch. He says, I don't know, but I have no words when I think that I'm actually I'm alive in the same generation to see Messi do that. See, now go back to that story. There's a man fascinated that they are alive to see a blind eye see. And there's another one saying, did he have to speak? No, no, seriously. You know those kinds of people. No, no, okay, yeah, I know, okay. He does miracles, I agree, I agree. But did he have to speak? Did he have to put his sputum on a man's eye? And there are even people who would say, uh-uh, okay. If you can't heal me the right way, Stay with your miracle sputum. There are people like that. There are people like that. Either God works their way or no way. The widow of Zarephath. She comes with that last meal for her son. And the prophet comes and says, give me that food that I made eat. Imagine there was an onlooker. Eh? Prophets of these days. Eh? Prophets. You see, this woman has the last meal of her child. They're about to eat. In fact, he's a man. You should understand. But look at him asking for that food. Uh-huh. What does God do after? Yeah. But there's a point there because also there's a madness that has come into the church. <laughs> Somebody, <laughs> one guy said, God has never sent a prophet to anyone without a seed. Yeah. I was watching it, I said, now, eh? there's madness in the church. So yeah, yeah, yeah I know <laughs> that there's some madness in the church. But much as there is a counterfeit, there is a true. And let's stick on the true right here. That a man tells this woman, give me everything. That's so strange. That's so divergent in expression. But God wants to feed this woman for the rest of her life. Somebody shout hallelujah. So the gospel has many divergent expressions of God's power. And God works like that continually. I have noticed with my life, for example, from the time I learned how to walk in the anointing, I realized that there are certain instructions, or when I started to hear the Holy Spirit, I realized that certain instructions that are sometimes 
frustrating to obey when you start to hear the Holy Spirit. One day, I was driving and I was going to my business. I'm a busy person. So I was going to attend to something very important. And as I'm driving, the Holy Spirit tells me, stop, go on that petrol station and park. So I go on this petrol station and I park and I sit on that petrol station. Nothing. Nothing. I'm not asking myself, why am I here? Is a miracle? Is I'm going to fall from here? What am I doing at a petrol station? So I stay there for quite some time. Lo and behold, a young man parks at the same petrol station, goes into a convenience store to buy something, and then he comes out, he sees me. His jaw drops. And then he walks in my window. Can I talk to you? This is what happened. Long and short of this story, this young man, for the first time, had left his wife at home. He was going in a convenience store, bought certain things. He was getting in his car to go and cheat on his wife. And when he sees me, the power of God convicts him to sin. And he starts shaking. And then he walks to me. And then starts telling me his life. And then he breaks before me and starts weeping. And repentance happened in that parking. And he got back into his car and went back to his wife. You see what I'm saying? But the obedience required me to park at the petrol station longer. Now, when you have seen this over time, it's easy. So even I sometimes from that apostolic, that prophetic unction, the instruction sometimes that I give. Some of you, if you've lived with me for some time, I give sometimes crazy instructions. But they're not me. I just feel it in my spirit. It's an action from the Holy Spirit and tells me, do this. So you tell somebody, do this. And somebody could be offended. Why is he telling me that? You see, but sometimes it's just because the Holy Spirit has a way of doing things. There are people who have walked in my office and they have these many diseases, you know. And sometimes the shock on their face where somebody comes and then they tell you all these sicknesses. And then I tell them, you're healed. One time a lady came to the office and then she started speaking and for some reason, the Holy Spirit carried me out from her conversation. I did not hear the bigger part of it. Only a few things came through and I was listening and listening, but I'm not listening. My head is meditating on something else. And towards the end, as she had finished and she's looking at me with this face of, what are you saying, man of God? Out of that, it's funny. The Holy Spirit just gave me that impression in the statement. I told her, it is finished. Have a good day. And she's like, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's done. You see, why? They expect that I have to respond, Father, Karabadi Deli Karabadi, angels come, Archangel Michael, Gabriel Messenger, Seraphim, Cherubim, fire from the North Pole. You understand? They want me to call all this brimstone and that's when they'll know that this man can pray. But that's unction. It's unction. I've learned to live an unctioned life for so many years. I preach under unction. There are things that even without my own preparation come out of my spirit the moment I start ministering to men. But I have to let that liberty. Somebody shout hallelujah. Are you working on God's terms? 
Or are you trying to make him fit under your terms and ways? Somebody shout amen. And I have realized this. This usually attacks people that are easily offended. You know, some people are easily offended. Easily offended. Some just says one thing to you and you keep that thing for like 20 years. They're easily offended. They get angry so easy. Bible says, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. To carry offense is a very, very, very ungodly thing. People's destinies have been destroyed because of carrying offense. The hand of God has been frustrated and the ways of his power have been throttled because people are offended easily. There's somebody who left a church before they were supposed to leave it because they are offended easily. They walked out of a marriage whose will was God's because they were easily offended. They broke a relationship that they were supposed to have maintained because they are easily offended. They walked out of a job that was in the perfect will of God because they were easily offended. Easily offended. To be free from offense or to carry pain and anger, but still be ready to hear God is one of the most indelible marks of a mature soul. As maturity, now I'm showing you the ways of God. The children of Israel in Numbers 20 verses 8 complain. They want water. They're in a dry place. They need water. And in verses 8, God talks to Moses and tells him, take the road and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the road from before the Lord as he was commanded. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Here now you rebels, must we fetch ye water out of this rock? He's accusing them of rebellion. And the Bible says, And Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod he smote the rock twice. The Bible says, And the water gushed out abundantly. The congregation drank and their own beasts and the Bible says in verses 12, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron. He says, Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given you. A man's assignment was cut short because he was weighed and God realized that it was not important anymore to deal with such a spirit or soul. It does not understand the value of its responsibility. A man's destiny and assignment were changed in a brink of an eye, yet his hand still had the power to change God's way and still the anointing on him would still bring forth water. But a man's assignment was changed and closed at that point and is taken to a mountain and God takes him home because he was easily offended. And in that offense, he chose his own terms of working out the way of God than following God's instruction. As a minister, I have wept for people who sometimes walk out of the way of truth. 
from the order of light. And sometimes it's not the error they make. But sometimes as a man of God, it's what you see in them, the potential in them, and what they choose to rebel against concerning the things of God. And sometimes you're like, but there is a man more obedient and he doesn't have even a fraction of what this man has or this woman has on their spirits for a calling. It is a very painful thing. In fact, the Bible says with wisdom comes sorrow. But what is a sorrow? The sorrow is the ability to, by the judgments of God, be able to discern or read or understand a certain way in a man walking against into a place of error and destruction, but that man has no clue. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 verses 12, there is a way which seemeth right to man, but the Bible says, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The end thereof are the ways of death. A man or a woman can make a decision and they think that they're making the right decision, but the ways, the end thereof are the ways of death. And I have been alive enough to see a man enter the wrong business, the wrong career, the wrong relationship, the wrong vision, the wrong ministry, the wrong decision. And sometimes you feel you want to reach out, but you don't want to force or fight your way through. And you see them sink and there is nothing you can do. That sorrow that came with the wisdom of the judgments of God that I revealed to you to know that this woman or this man is already messed up. They just don't know. Give it a few weeks, a few months. It will show that they went the wrong course. It is painful. It is painful. Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. The Bible says, he shall direct your paths. He will lead you. He took you in that marriage. I know it's hard, but if he's the one who led you in that marriage, hang in there. Don't put terms. If he's the one who led me in this, why is she doing this? If he's the one who led me in this, why is he like this? Listen, trust God. If he's the one who led you there, his grace is sufficient enough to uphold you in the decision that he has put you into. If he's the one who opened that door for that job for you, it doesn't matter how frustrating your boss is, if it is God who put you in that office, don't put your terms of operation. Don't draw your own description, job description. Keep on the course and just trust God. You'll be amazed at how these things turn out. See, some of you, and I feel sorry for the generation that doesn't know how to serve because it has not served. It doesn't know how to serve. You see, some of us served. We still serve. And we know what service is. I'm talking about Serving by carrying a man's bag. No, I'm talking about serving by cleaning the toilet, by slashing, by washing cars. I'm talking about serving by even going in some of the most filthiest places because you're serving and you make sure that nobody's seeing you because you're not doing it for anybody to see you, but you're doing it for God who sees you doing secret. And sometimes you know what's inside your spirit. 
I know the revelation on my spirit. I know the anointing that is on me. I know the glory that is shining on my life. And I have met a lame man walking in Kayunga. The man has thrown his stick and is walking and running. And I come back under that grace and glory. And I know that there's something on my life that is so distinctive. And God tells you, go get that car and wash it. Wash the man of God's car. Those are not the terms that quite fit people who are walking under the anointing. But you see, the man who called us in his divergent ways of work has said, if any of you require to be the greatest, you got to be the least. And then he tells you, this person has done this to you, but I want you to go and do them good. Oh, I said, go do them good. Oh, why do I even have to? Isn't it enough that I've kept quiet and I've not harmed them? He says, no, 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 no. Go still do them good. And you see your legs going places where you will not to go because it's his way, it's his term. It's his leading. And he says, but I'm allowing this in your life because it's the only way I will break you. It's the only way I will teach you. It's the only way you will father. It's the only way you will raise people to. It's the only way you'll instruct. It's the example that you set in life that many will look at as a guiding star or light. It's the wind that will blow them in their sail in future to say that if this person or this woman did this, then I'm able to do it because they were men and women of God. Some people do not have a clue. They just think we just woke up and stood on the pulpit and started preaching and then things started happening. No. We have a story. We have a story. I have a story. Men and women of God, you see, the problem is you were not there in their seed time. So you have no clue. You have no clue. I used to wait on men of God at 2 a.m. As available to certain men of God at 3 a.m. to drive them anywhere. There were times I stayed awake because I was waiting if per adventure I felt it in my spirit that this man of God is going somewhere, there are times I would stay awake just to make sure I don't sleep just in case his phone calls and my phone is on. I should take it because that's my service to God. And I'm not saying these things to boast. I'm not saying these things to boast because we have a younger generation that doesn't know how to serve God. It doesn't know how to do the process, but it wants the product of everything. They want the end of everything, but they don't understand the process. They don't respect the process. They want to graduate today and tomorrow become managers. No, there's a process. They want to come out of school and tomorrow become CEOs the next two weeks because they're not patient. They don't understand that for you to become CEO, there's a, somebody might have to step on your foot sometimes. There's going to be frustrations. There's going to be days where you're going to go without food. I remember those days when we were banking, you bank from 8 a.m. to 6 or 7 or 8 p.m., and then you get on a border, a bike, and somebody rides you to probably 40 or 30 kilometers, and you're preaching the whole night. And then after preaching the whole night, you come back at four, you change your clothes, and then you wear, and then you go back in the bank, and then it happens that same evening, you preach the whole night, three days of preaching. Your eyes are open, but you don't even know where you're driving because your head is worn out and tired. You are serving God, and you want to give at your work, you want to give 100%. And then you want to give 100% to the man of God. And sometimes you're saying, God, but I feel I have enough to go full time and tells you, uh-uh, you don't have enough for full time. Keep working. 
There's a character in you that is not yet formed and I'm going to teach it to you in Bible school. I'm going to teach it to you in the bank, Grace. Sit there and have this kind of boss have a person speak to you this way and I see and somebody speaks to you a certain way and you want to hold your mouth and talk back and the Holy Spirit tells you don't do dare say anything. Then you hold your peace. His way, not my way. It's called obedience. That's what I told you. People don't have a clue. But in there, you're learning the ways of God. What do you think it takes Jacob to work for a man he knows has no substance to give him? Rather, he is the source of that man's blessing. But yet he has to humble himself to that man's mastery because there's something on him that is going to father 12 tribes of Israel. And God needs to build a certain character in this man. And he tells him, but you need to also know how to serve even those whom you add to. Paul says, I'm a debtor to the wise and unwise. He humbles himself to people that don't carry the revelation of the New Testament. But he says, least I run my race in vain. Because I can run my race in vain. Yes, I had all this revelation. But he says, no, but how I went up by revelation, Galatians 2, and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, least by any means I should run or had run in vain. Paul would have said, I'm the one with the revelation. They're not with the revelation. I'm the one with the anointing. They're not with the anointing. Why do I need those guys? They're actually old folk. They're Old Testament. They don't have it. No. But the Bible tells him he had to go and submit himself privately to those which were a reputation, lest he runs his race in vain. God is telling him, I don't care how much revelation is on your life. There is a way it comes out of your spirit. And in the coming out of your spirit, I have to humble you to those that have gone before you, even though they do not know more than you do. But Paul what I need from you in laying the foundation will require you to go and even submit yourself to such a one. That is maturity. Some will say, no, may I have the anointing? Why do I need that bishop? Why do I need, oh my goodness. One time we went in a meeting and called some of our fathers and sat them down and a guy can spend a whole one hour quarreling with you of things you know he's not even speaking the truth. You know he's misinformed, but you're there like this. One guy spoke and spoke and spoke and I'm listening like this. You see? We're in a hotel somewhere and the guy spoke things he has no clue about and I could see he was deceived. And after all of that, the Spirit tells you, pay the bill of everything they've eaten and drunk and the building and go back home. It's enough that you sat and listened. That's my way of growing you. That's my way of growing you. So some of us don't know the power of yielding to the way of God, to the terms of God. To be obedient to God is to do things under his own terms, regardless of how much pain and inconvenience they will cause you. There's something that comes from that obedience. There's a mark that will be fixed on your life and separate you and consecrate you. Do you realize that in scripture, Moses' disobedience was a defilement of the name of God before the eyes of the children of Israel. And likewise, in his obedience, there was a sanctification of the name of God before the children of Israel. But do you need to lose your assignment because you have refused to speak to what God told you to speak to? 
two. And he said, you smite it because ye are angry. Ye are easily offended. If God has told you, go do your work in that company, work there. If God has told you, go serve that man or woman, he's not stupid. He knew all the madness they would come with. He knew all the positives and negatives they would come with. But if he has told you, go and serve that man or woman, go and serve them. Go and serve them. David would not have served Saul. Samuel 16, God opens heaven through the prophet and pours oil on David and tells him there's a man in the office but he's not the king but the only way you will sit in that office you're going to have to serve that man my way not your way and David has the right he can say uh-uh, why should I go and serve a guy who's actually the prince of God has left he should be actually gunning his little youth young people to sit them and tell him look this guy has no praise in his life I'm the one with the presence but he knows that he cannot sit in the office. There's a pattern and principle. That process has to serve the man seated in the office. Samuel sat and served Eli long before God had last spoken to Eli. Many years ago, God had shut his voice off Eli for many years. But the instruction to Samuel is, this is the guy that one day you will need to help you differentiate my voice from the other noises. And you will need that voice in your consecration. He puts him in his life. So God doesn't necessarily give us the perfect. He doesn't sometimes give us the most fulfilled conditions and circumstances in our consecrations. But it takes a certain grace and wisdom to know that this is the leading of God. And regardless of how or where God will take me, I will go with him because he is worth serving that way. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout amen. He says, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. So what happens to us in the new birth in Corinthians when he says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. It means that more than those to whom were not known the ways and thoughts of God, we are in a place and a dispensation where we can actually know the thoughts and ways of God, meaning we can easily agree. We are agreeable to his ways. We are agreeable to his thoughts. Now, we have the mind of Christ. His ways are no longer different from our ways. Actually, our ways have been patterned. That man, the new man in Christ, has been created in the image and likeness of him. Then the Bible says so. So the new creation, which has been created in the image and likeness of him, we are naturally aligned to his thoughts. We are naturally aligned to his ways. So it should be easy for us. In fact, it's first nature for us to be obedient in the knowledge of that image of him that created us. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now for ministers. Now for ministers. I've finished addressing those who are not ministers. Now I'm addressing ministers and those of you who will be ministers or who shall at any point position yourself in the place of ministry. Not necessarily frontline. You might not be on the pool, be like I, but even the guy in the security is a minister. Now to you, ministers, those of you who say that I don't want to just leave to enjoy the glories of the kingdom, but I also want to lay down my life to serve God. In the Bible, leprosy is a symbol. It's not just a disease. That is why later when he's commanding us in Matthew, the 10th chapter, the 7th verse, he says, as ye go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen, verses 8. 
heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, for freely you have received, freely give ye. So why does God separate the cleansing of the lepers from the healing of the sick if it was only disease? He separates the cleansing of the leper from the healing of the sick because leprosy is not just a disease. If we go through scripture, the Bible tells us that the first time we see leprosy, remember again in the principles of biblical interpretation, there's a principle called the law of first mention. The way it's first mentioned carries the deepest truth of implication in any context you shall use a word. The first time we see leprosy in scripture, Aaron and Miriam are questioning the authority operating on Moses. And God summons them. Why are you not afraid to speak against my servant? And then later, the Bible says immediately Miriam became leprous. Why the snow? And Aaron looked upon Miriam and behold, she was leprous. The first time we see leprosy in scripture, God was trying to correct somebody that did not respect kingdom government. So in the work of trying to cleanse the leper, in the work of trying to cleanse the leper, in the work of trying to help us understand how the principles of the kingdom work, sometimes we need to help some of you understand that this is the way of the kingdom. There are things that work in the kingdom of God that don't work in the world. And because they work in the kingdom of God, when you say that you are born again, you're going to have to embrace the way of the kingdom. Somebody shout hallelujah. If the kingdom of God says that we are called to be the least and not the greatest, ye are called to be the least and not the greatest. Don't build a principle or a pattern that goes against that. If the kingdom of God is not about food and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, we expect you to build your life on the principle of righteousness imputed through faith, not of works lest we should boast. We expect you to walk in the bond of peace, to pursue peace with all men. The Bible says, well, with no man shall see God. We expect you to have a fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You remember the benediction of Paul, the grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you. We expect you to live a pattern life of fellowship and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's just the way of the kingdom. The way of kingdom requires you to submit under authority. Hebrews 13, 17, he says, submit, obey, constantly recognize those that have the rule over you. If you read the Amplified, he says that obey your spiritual leaders. Wherever in the churches that you are, submit yourself to them, continually recognizing their authority over you. Hey, wait a minute. So that means in scripture, according to scripture, there are people who are supposed to be over you. Even me, Apostle Grace. No man is their own prophet. Doesn't matter how you see God. He says there are going to be people in your life who are going to constantly keep watch over your souls, guarding your spiritual welfare as men who will have to render an account to God for their trust. And he tells you, do your part and render an account of their trust. So that means accountability is biblical. It is biblical. Some of you live like babies. Because a baby is not accountable what they eat, where they go, what they do. No, when you grow up, the Bible says you hand over your hand and another man or woman will take you places you will not to go. So that's accountability. Because some of you, if you are not accountable, you'd be dead. And I know it. I know it. 
Somebody comes and tells you, oh, God has told me to marry this person. And he has two, three children and five wives that are hidden. But because you went to a man of God who hears God, you were saved. You see what I'm saying? We've saved people from wrong businesses, wrong careers. Somebody wrote me a letter and said, I'm tired. I've been in this job for years and they're not promoting me. And she said, I've written in my resignation. I told her, as your spiritual father, I tell you by God, go and pick that resignation. Now, she goes in the office and picks the resignation and says, I'm sorry. And the boss is like, what's wrong with you? Says, no, 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 I've changed my mind. Three, four months later, she's promoted. That means if she had quit, if she had quit, her promotion was gone. No, as you continue growing and hearing God for yourself, will not bother you. We'll let you do whatever. But some people are young. They're just born again. They don't even know yet how to cross the road. They need direction. Should I eat this? Shouldn't I eat this? Should I go this way? Like a child, when a baby is growing up, that mistakes, there's a time for them, they should ask questions, they should be able to account. Why? Because it's a principle in the kingdom. My ways, God says, not your ways. Am I own prophet? Am I an apostle? Am I own pastor? Your ways. You want God to work under your terms. If Jesus needed John to baptize him, why didn't Jesus circumcise himself? Are you hearing me? Why did Paul receive the revelation in Arabia and went to Jerusalem and submitted it before James and Peter? Why didn't he just continue preaching his message because he's anointed by God? Because the principles of the kingdom don't work that way. So when you break the order of the kingdom, by symbol, you are leprous. And some of you right now are being cleansed. He says, by my word I've cleansed thee. Some of you are being cleansed notwithstanding that some of us, even as men of God or women of God, can abuse it and manipulate and take advantage of that. But that's for those. Let everybody who does that be judged by his God. But this is what I'm trying to tell you. That like we have spoken in that there are principles in finances, there are principles in marriage, there are principles in businesses, there are principles in our career, there are principles in service, there are principles everywhere. The kingdom of God has principles and some of them are divergent. They slap you, poor, and Jesus says, put the other. How? I know people say, uh-uh, touch me. They don't even want a slap. Uh-uh, just touch them. They will show you. They will show you. You understand what I'm saying? And you're living in the dispensation of a man who is so divergent, he's saying, turn your right cheek. They come on horses and chariots and shields and armory. And then he comes on riding on a donkey. Young of Anas is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is divergent. He's not like them. That's why he's crucified, because he's not like them. But it's his way, not your word, not your way. The Assyrian, interestingly, also saw the prophetic differently because the Assyrian comes from a background of soothsaying. The Assyrian comes from a background of Baal prophets. The Assyrian comes from that kind of background. Syria, the Assyrian is a spirit. It's not just a nation and people. Like if they say, so-and-so has gone back to Egypt, that's a symbol for they have backslidden. That doesn't mean that the people in Egypt don't know God or that present-day physical Egypt is a place of backslidenness. But there's a symbol spoken in Scripture. 
They're symbols spoken in scripture. So the Assyrian spirit is a symbol. After David had finished defeating the Assyrians, there's a confidence that sits on his heart and the Bible says, and he stays back when kings go for war. Some people don't know that it was the deception of the victory over the Assyrian that makes him relax. And when he stays in the times, the Bible says, when kings go forth for battle, that's when he goes on a rooftop and sees a naked woman. And we know what happens after that. He kills Uriah, the husband, and takes over that woman and judgment upon him. And I think a child died. His destiny was tainted. But if David had gone out in the time when the kings go for war, he would not have been tempted. For example, zero it so much on the fact that he did not go out. But some people are not able to read within the lines to understand the context of what it meant to have victory over an Assyrian. So the deception, the Assyrian, the victory over the Assyrian sent him aback and he stayed where he should have gone. Now, it's the same thing in the prophet that after he does a miracle on this Syrian fellow called Naaman, the scriptures tell us if I will go down a bit here, Verses 15, 2 Kings chapter 5, he returns to the man of God and all his company and came and stood before him and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, and therefore I pray thee take a blessing of thy servant. And the scriptures tell us, As long as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Why did the prophet refuse the Assyrian gift? Because the Assyrian looks at the prophet like a diviner. He has no revelation of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was base practice. It was base practice to take what they call the reward of divination. If you remember Balak, Balaam, you remember the king? When he sends emissaries to the prophet, the Bible says they came carrying the rewards of what? Of divination, because they used to see prophets as diviners. And Elisha cannot receive from the hand that sees a diviner. The prophet cannot receive from the hand that sees a diviner. Somebody shout hallelujah. He cannot receive from the hand that sees a diviner. And because of that, He says, I will receive none of that while it will defy my spirit. I don't want to receive what comes as a pay if it does not come in the revelation of the God they honor operating in me. Ha. Many prophets have received the diviner's reward and not the owner of the office. And for such people will receive miracles, but they're not transformed. Their bodies are revived, but their spirits are not reformed. It takes great wisdom to know the difference. One servant of the prophet, Gehazi, he runs after. (laughs) He runs. Why? Because he is a lasting. What Elisha could not take, Gehazi wanted to take. What happened? Immediately, he was made leprous. By symbol, he was judged for breaking divine order. You don't take 
what one who knows better than you cannot take. Don't even ask questions. Just don't take it. If you believe they know better. If they're your master. If they're your man of God. And you see that there's a way they don't deal with certain things. Have the wisdom to ask, why isn't he taking what he should take? You see? Why isn't he taking the attention like other people do? Why isn't he receiving as he should? If he's not doing it, don't do it. Later on, by God's infinite wisdom, if you take time to ask and inquire, in humility and say, why isn't he doing this? God will be kind enough to tell you this is why he or she, a woman or man of God, is not doing this. The Bible speaks of how we should know how not to eat. <laughs> Jesus speaks of some people and says, with such, do not eat. Some of you think that every blessing and every door that opens to you is supposed to be taken. A woman once walked into my office with a lot of money and put it on the table and said, bless us, me and my family, we've brought first fruit to God. The Spirit of the Lord gave me a quickening and told me she comes from another church. So I asked her, who is your pastor? She tells me, this is my pastor. And I opened for her Ezekiel 40. Four verses what? 30. The first of all oblations, the first of your oblations shall be to the priest. You shall take the first of your door that he may cause thee blessing to rest in your house. Am I your priest? No. I just come on Thursdays and attend your service. I told her, get your money and take it to your priest. That he may bless you. Perhaps I needed that money. But I don't want that kind of money. You see what I'm saying? It's wrong. It will defile my stream of provision. No, not to eat sometimes. Not every gift that comes to you, not every door that opens to you is yours. Not every phone call of opportunity is yours. Not every praise is yours. There's a lady who also one time came and told me, the Lord has told me to submit under this ministry. And I closed my eyes like this. And the Lord told me, she's not yours. I turned to her and I told her, you know, you're speaking from emotion. You're not my spiritual child. The Lord tells me you belong somewhere else. You have rebelled from your local pastor. He told you something and you refused to listen and now you're coming to my ministry to bring rebellion. She broke down and cried. And after that, after the pastor, by God's grace, I knew the man. We called him and he restored her back in church. Because it's not about me having numbers. It's important to know my own. Somebody shout hallelujah. Open your mouth and speak to God. Speak to God. Holy Spirit, we ask you for wisdom. We ask you for direction. May you lead our minds and instruct our hearts to learn to do things your way and not our way. To agree with your process, your procedures and principles. And allow you to work in our lives both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. We repent where we've gone our own way. We repent where we've led our own course. Help us, O oh God, that we might serve you.
in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say, Amen. If you're sick in your body, I speak healing. Receive your healing right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, just repeat these words after me. The Bible says there's no name that is given among men to the earth or the whole world wherewith men are saved except that name of Jesus. So I want to give you that opportunity to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. Just repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I am born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Finero, make manifest.